This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Writing Project. OWP supports teachers from all over Ohio and celebrates the professionalism, expertise, and talent of our state's educators. Ohio Writing Project. Teachers teaching teachers. Welcome to Write Answers, a production of the Ohio Writing Project. My name is Noah Waspy, and I'm so excited for today's episode. Today I'm sharing a rebroadcast of Octella's old podcast, Speaking and Listening. I used to do it for Octella, and it's an interview with Penny Kittle, and I'll tell you all about it in just a minute. First, let's share a poem. This one is called Randy's Last Words. It's by a poet named Jack Fontaine. They had a point, but they fashioned it into a sword and cut us to pieces. We call them bugs because they bug us when we invade their space. You are what you eat until you are eaten, and then you are that. One time I kissed someone right before they sneezed. The next day, I was sick in bed. We spend so much time trying so hard to matter. But does it really matter that much to matter that much? Okay, so let's get to the interview. The only thing I want to say is it was recorded a few years ago. It was recorded right before 180 Days came out. And Penny and I talked a little bit about that process. We also talked a lot about book love. And the quality of the interview is... The contents of the interview are great, but the sound quality... Not the best because I was recording it in a hurry after school at my desk and we were talking on the phone next to a handheld recorder. So please forgive the sound quality. But outside of that, it's it's an awesome conversation. And listening back to it, I don't even mind that I asked her about her planner, even though she obviously thought it was a silly question. I was so glad that she was graceful and how she handled it. Anyway, here's my interview with the one and only Penny Kittle. So I have about 65 kids who are studying um, digital stories of all different kinds. I take suggestions from kids, I review them, and I bring those in. We've looked at many documentaries. And then we're analyzing like how people use these different skills. How do they use pace? How do they use um, the organization of information? What's the balance between voiceovers and... Um, music and all of these factors and then of course we're trying to create really compelling digital stories Mm. so what's hard right now is that um every possible technology snafu that can happen happens yes and it happens like regularly so it isn't just that we had a power outage that knocked out the connection to the server for all the laptops in my room in the middle of this unit. We've had um, kids who sign in thinking that, you know, because we're using all these different free platforms that you can create on. Mm -hmm. And one of the favorites is WeVideo, except that I've had kids sign in who are told when they finish their entire project that they can't save it because they don't have any 
um, space left on yes. the free version, but this is the first time they've ever used it. So, you know, it's just one of those freak things where a kid is mm-hmm. just crushed, you know? Yeah. And so we keep trying to approach it all as, okay, this is the problem solving that we have to do to um, work through any kind of inquiry that we do. But it seems to be magnified just by the frustrations of technology. And so for me, what's hard is that I never know as much as I need to know. Mm-hmm. And the kids' technology is... It used to be that I could kind of count on a handful of four or five different brands of phones that kids would bring in, and they'd have their music and Mm -hmm. interview clips. And now my students are coming in with such an array of devices and things I've never heard of to try to figure out. So what's hard for me always is not just the planning of a unit, you know, selecting my metro text and figuring out how to get my kids um, the clarity they need to get to work on their own, but... What's hard is that everything is changing so fast, and I'm in the midst of it trying to learn it while they're learning it. So it just never feels as smooth and perfect as I thought it would when I went into teaching. I'm with you, and just for what it's worth, everyone who's ever gotten really excited about, oh, we video, it's free, and we can do it on our Chromebooks, has had that same shattering disappointment as they worked with it. You're not alone. What got got you into digital storytelling? Well, this is a class called The Art of Story. And so my students um, began the semester by writing lots of stories. We've been studying stories. And then after writing um, a multi-scene narrative, we go into digital storytelling. And then we end the semester writing multi-narrator stories. And so this unit really is about four weeks of study of media as well as their own creation of a digital story. That is an amazing. I actually try to work in some kind of digital work into every writing unit that I teach. I want to be in that class. That sounds that sounds so fun. <laughs> oh, it sounds a little chaotic, don't you think? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I you know, one of the biggest takeaways for me from that book, uh, "The Teacher You Want to Be," yeah, um, was the idea of how how messy learning is, and that's yeah. okay. Like, it's not. I don't think that any of the best learning I've ever done has ever been like a point A, point B, and I just got their process. There's a lot of frustration. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff involved. And yeah, I think but that, don't you think that the opposite message is what we get from everyone who, you know, either administration <laughs> or people outside of it is that, you know, learning should be really linear. There should be this list. In, in my state, it's all about competencies. So there should mm-hmm. be this list of competencies, and everyone's moving along on this, you know, trajectory that says I master this, and then I move to this. And I find that, you know, not only have I not mastered most of the things I'm teaching, I'm constantly in the midst of trying to, to get better at it, but that we all... You know, almost uh, Howard Gardner in the unschooled mindset, mm-hmm. it's waves. We move forward, and then we recede a little, and we move forward again. And, and he was really talking about a preschool, unschooled child, you know, a young, young child. But I feel like my learning is constantly waves. Oh, absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's brutal sometimes. Like, as a teacher, my learning is has been really messy. Like, <laughs> when I think about if, if someone had designed a lesson plan around my teaching career... I don't think that they would have gotten like a, an accomplished O-test evaluation. <laughs> Just because the, you're right. It's like you move forward and then you move backward, then you move sideways and then backward. But in the end, yeah. like it, you're the accumulation of all those experiences. I think that that's a good segue into book love because 
I think that's what you, I think that's one of the thesis statements of book love is when students grow as, as readers, they didn't just grow because of a lesson that you taught or a book that you taught or even one book that they read. It's a really long process. Mm. <coughs> yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think that growing into my own understanding of what was happening with readers in my classroom um, led me there. And I, I've been in a building for 20 years now where we um, have our groups of kids in multi-age classes. So even though we're a high school, I teach grades 10, 11, and 12 in the same classroom. And there, um, you see very easily that there is no real grade division about what kids are reading or how they're learning as readers. It's really about the accumulation of experiences and what kinds of uh, moves forward do kids make as readers and then where do they need support? Because it seems to me that um, every bit of what I do is adjusting to that kid. Mm-hmm. You know, is this, you know, it feels to me like you're, you've slowed your momentum on this book. What's going on? How come? It's such a common conference. You know, where, you know, this last four or five books you raced through, now you really slowed down. What's going on? And it's often about either the book is much harder or they chose poorly and they're choosing, you know, they chose it because their friend liked it, but they don't really like it. And they don't even pay attention to the fact that they're no longer regularly reading. So it's all that adjusting. I don't know. It's difficult. about one thing that I think was an awakening for me when I uh, read Book Love was it's not just about what we say in conferences. It's about stopping and listening to kids. Had, I was curious, like, was that a process or was that like a one-day eureka moment for you? Mm, not at all. Actually, it's, it's all because I got to spend so much time with John Graves and <laughs> And as well, Don Murray. But, you know, Don Graves would always say that your job in a conference is to listen to the kids so that you can tell them back that you, you heard them and you understood what they had to say. And he always said this phrase, receive the peace, about a writing conference. So you you can't speak about what you want to um, help this kid with in their writing until you have received it until you've told them you understood what their purpose was or what you understood the piece to be about. So his big approach was, it's all about research. The teacher sits down to learn from the kid, and in that learning, in that listening, figures out what they're going to teach that day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got the joy of watching Don confer with kids a lot, and he was so masterful at this intention. I mean, he had his eyes focused on you, so he was intentional about letting you know you are the most important thing in this classroom right now. Mm. And I just, I just watched kids blossom under that. So with Book Love Foundation, or I guess I've been trying to wrestle with like the origin story. I've done like some really weak, mild, low-level research, uh, and I didn't turn up much. <laughs> Did the foundation come before the book? Or the book come before oh, the foundation? Oh, uh, no. I, I was in the midst of writing the book, and had, you know, by then had been talking about the ideas in book love for, you know, years and years before I wrote it. And everywhere I went, I would run into people who were 
all in with what I was talking about, but they would say again and again, but my district gives us no money for classroom libraries or, you know, we haven't had any supply money in our school for, you know, the last five years. And so I kept wrestling with this idea of how could I make my work help other people. And so when I was coming up to the end of writing Book Love and was finally into the um, final chapters, I told my husband, you know what I'd really like to do is start a foundation that gives away books. And he was like, well, you don't really have time to do that unless you give up one of your other jobs. And I said, but, you know, I don't know how to run a foundation, but I think we can figure it out. And I said, if I end my book with this two pages about the foundation, that I'm starting a foundation, then it will be in the book and there'll be like no backing out. That's your commitment advice. Right. I kind of just (laughs) egged myself on by writing that at the end of Book Club. And we even you know, bought the domain name and had the QR code in the book so that there was going to be a place. So by the time I sent my final pages to Heinemann, I was desperately trying to get together a website so there would be something there, a landing page when people opened that book. And it was totally by the seat of my pants, right? I got people together and said, we got to figure out a way to raise money and give away libraries and um, got smart people with me. And then we just took it kind of slow, and um, we're still, you know, if I look at the way really great nonprofits work, we're so far from where they are, and I have a constant to-do list in my writer's notebook of ways to work on the foundation and find it very hard to keep up with, but I'm thrilled that we've given away about $250,000 at this point, wow. and we have about 60 classroom libraries out there that were grants from the foundation, so it's a great start. How do you, how do you, this is a like, how do you balance all of the uh, stuff that you do? I mean, you, you teach, you um, work with teachers in your district, you work with teachers in lots of districts across the country, you run a foundation, you have two podcasts, and, and you write articles. And, I mean, how do you, how do, you do all that? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing is that my kids are grown, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to all the hockey net and games and all that stuff that I used to do as a mom. Um, and the other thing is that we all give a lot of attention to the things that matter to us, mm-hmm. and everything that you just listed really matters to me, so you just make time for it. Um, I have to say I'm, I'm relieved that the book I'm writing or have written with Kelly Gallagher is finally done because I'm not getting up every morning at four to work on that, because that was... <laughs> <laughs> ridiculously hard um, it's a wonderful experience but whenever you come to the end of a book project you go oh I have my time back for a while to really think about how I want to use it I mean to you that's time back but you're still doing all those other things but I can yeah. see how it feels like getting a chunk of that before I ask about the book you wrote with Kelly Gallagher which I'm insanely curious about um, do you what kind of planner do you use what kind of planner? You yeah, think like I'm planful. I, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I just um, this is this is not going to be awesome podcast fodder. This is just like, what's Noah curious about today? You know what? Oh my gosh, I have a calendar where I try to throw everything on there, and I don't really use a planner except that in my writer's notebook, I keep running lists of things I've got to work on. Yeah, and. They at times overwhelm me. This weekend was one when I had the list was so long, I just felt overwhelmed with it by Saturday. And um, I just try to check them off. And sometimes I put stupid things on there to make myself feel like I've accomplished something. Yep. Call mom and I cross it off, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's smart. But, um, you know, I just, 
actually ask for forgiveness a lot because I'm late with stuff that I intended mm-hmm. to get in on time. And, you know, I drop things um, that I wish I didn't drop. People will send me messages asking for things, and I'll be like, oh, you better ask me again because I'll forget. Um, I don't have a great system. Sorry. That is okay. I didn't, it didn't have to be a great system. I just want to know what yours. So you, you're, <laughs> you, the way you plan your life is the way you plan what you're going to read next is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like that. And it's also true that, you know, you're sitting in your classroom constantly staying on top of it in all kinds of ways. So I have a system at school that works really well and I have a system at home that's different. So thank you for humoring my slice of life question. <laughs> all right. So, um, what can you tell us about uh, 180 days? Well, um, we're going to get final pages any day. I actually just saw the designed pages last week for the first time and am in love with the exquisite design magic of the Heinemann team. Um, they just have, you know, Katie, Katie Wood Ray was our editor, and she engineered a way for us to work um, from a rough draft to what you're going to see in print in mm-hmm. such a marvelous way. Her ability to think through what does a reader need and how do I make this fit together was a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of, you know, talking about the production of it at this point because we're at that place. But the project itself started two and a half years ago when Kelly and I decided that we were finally going to try to work on a project together. Um, we had been presenting together we the first time we did was in 2010 so it's been a long time where we've always presented together at NCTE since and we talk all the time about teaching but we hadn't sat down and tried to answer the question that every teacher was asking us at workshops and that was how do you fit all this in and so we sat down and said what if we plan a year together and then we teach it and we connect our classes and keep in touch and you know really co-teach this year across the coast and then we write about it and Heinemann agreed to film two days in my class two days in Kelly's class when you know he was in my room and I was in his room and um so we got all the conferences over those four days on tape and it was just in all of the crush of life what is it like to rush through a school year with all of your vision and hopes and dreams and beliefs and then encounter just what every teacher does every year. You run out of time for this, something gets in the way, you know, the unexpected. And really trying to help teachers understand the creative process we go through that we believe is essential to sustaining teachers, and that is that we create our own teaching, and we don't believe in, um, you know, you following our plan necessarily, but simply looking at the decisions we made and why we made them and thinking about the decisions you have to make in your own classroom. Was it, uh, was it like when you, I don't know, I, I'm trying to figure out how to ask this question. Sorry for uh, not having this one prepared. Did it, how did it go? Was it smooth? Was it rough? <laughs> I know the answer. It was, it was like, I mean. People ask me all the time, like, <laughs> Kelly fight? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it's hard to co-teach. Even if you yeah. work with that co-teacher, and let's say it's an intervention specialist, it's hard to co-teach because it's yeah. you, you have different strengths, different weaknesses, different schedules sometimes. Um, yeah. How I did mean, you I navigate say, that? So one of our challenges is that we're three hours time difference apart, mm-hmm. and that was incredibly hard. There were there was a whole stretch of days where Kelly got up every morning at four thirty, and we were reading the book aloud over the phone to try to get it through to the next stage, and. Um, then he'd go off to teaching, you know, and I only teach in the fall now. So he was 
still teaching in that spring while we were trying to do that. So there were there were challenges with the time difference. But I have to say, you know, when people see Kelly present, they say, Kelly Allard's got to be one of the nicest people in the world. And I have to say he's every bit that nice. And he was so patient and um, truly kind about many, many things that came up over those two and a half years of working together. I feel blessed to sit beside somebody whose brain is alive with thinking and is always figuring out ways to take something complex and make it simple for kids, make it achievable for kids. And I learned so much by planning beside someone. You know, I'm the the wild thinker. I'm all over my notebook, and I would send him these (laughs) screenshots of these pages in my notebook that must have been impossible to read. And, And he was, you know, every time he'd be like, wow, that's, that's a lot of thinking, you know? And then he would somehow turn it into a really clear plan. And he's orderly and sequential, and I'm random, abstract. And so the two of us together work really well, but of mm-hmm. course it was hard. We basically composed the book on a series of Voxer messages, I swear to you. You know, <laughs> every day we were checking in, good morning from the Kennedy High School parking lot. I did this on Chapter 7. Will you take a look at this? Or I'm just plugging along trying to work on. And it was that back and forth because when Kelly would leave me a message that said I spent an hour and a half on Chapter 2, I had to get in there and work because you can't let the other person be doing all the work. And yeah. so we just kept each other going that way. And once in a while, nearly came to blows over something that I would get so frustrated, like, stop it. No, I'm not doing that. And, you know, of course there's that back and forth, but we're good enough friends that we could take it. You could work through it's interesting the dynamics of um, a creative pair. There's a book called Powers of Two. I don't know if you, you've probably heard of this book. It's by uh, Joshua Shank. I hope I get that right. <laughs> and he basically explores the dynamics of like some of the greatest creative pairs, like Jobs, Wozniak, Lennon, McCartney. And there's almost always one who is the fluid, who expands and pushes the thinking to unexpected places. And then there's one who's the container who makes it so yeah. that the fluid can be uh, presented in an understandable yeah. manner. It sounds oh, like that's so true. that is I mean, you guys in a nutshell. It's so true in the way that Kelly was the container. Um, because Kelly and I now do a lot of presentations together. And oftentimes, if we sit side by side with a computer, I will be showing him the stuff that I've gotten together before we got together. And he'll take a slide and go, we should do it this way, this way, this way. And mm-hmm. it is immediately clearer. He's just got this uncanny ability to do that, the containment. Um, so I would agree with that. I also read a book called Originals, which is the power of breaking out, being different. And um, one of their big claims is that you're always better together. There's a sense of, you know, what you know and what someone else knows is a bigger no if you're together on it. And I felt that so much in our partnership. Kittle and I recorded that interview almost maybe over three years ago, which feels like forever ago. It feels like it was a completely different universe that we lived in when we recorded that interview. But that interview was really timeless. The ideas that Penny shared, the her process, the, the content, the way she works with a partner, 
I just loved everything about that conversation. And I'm so glad I was able to share it with you in partnership with Octella. Speaking of Octella, be sure to go to octella.org to find out more about how you can be involved with Octella. We also have information about them in our show notes. Also in the show notes, as always, you can find out how you can connect with the Ohio Writing Project. OWP has so many opportunities to learn, to lead for educators, and it's teachers teaching teachers, like we say in the opening copy. It's the best, most transformative program you could ever associate yourself with, so be sure to reach out. Okay, that's it for this week. That's it for today. That's it for this episode. Yeah, that's it. Thank you so much for tuning in to Write Answers. Mm-hmm.